Good morning, my name's Steve and I'll be bringing the sermon reading this morning. So if you take up your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In a moment, I'm going to show a clip from the movie Cars. Uh, so I watched this movie a lot uh, growing up when our children were young. And I reckon it's got two things, or at least I see two things in this clip that help us to appreciate the Beatitudes. So if you see what you, what you see in it besides just the cars. See how we go. <laughs> This ain't asphalt, son. This is dirt. Oh, great. What do you want? You hear me glow? You don't have three-wheel brakes, so you got to pitch it hard, break it loose, and, and just drive it with a throttle. Give it too much, you'll be out of the dirt and into the tulips. So you're a judge, a doctor, and a racing expert. I'll put it simple. If you're going hard enough left, you'll find yourself turning right. Oh, right. That makes perfect sense. Turn right to go left. Yes! Or should I say no thank you? Because in opposite world, maybe that really means thank you. Crazy grandpa car. What an idiot. So today, 
Uh, we are beginning a new series, and it's titled Sermon on the Mount, uh, because it's uh, a portion of the book of Matthew, and it's described as a Sermon on the Mount, because literally, uh, Jesus walked up a hill, and then began speaking to the people. So I think more hill, uh, less perhaps Everest. And these opening words are often described as the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes simply means a, a statement of blessing. And the two things uh, that stand out for me in this clip, as they stood out for you, you know, obviously. Uh, firstly, uh, it is counterintuitive to turn left to go right if you are sliding on dirt. You wouldn't think that that would work. But it does. And it's the same with the Beatitudes. They go completely against the way our world thinks when it comes to what it looks like to have a successful life. Uh, but for those who have eyes to see, uh, the Beatitudes Beatitude show us what it looks like to succeed in terms of how God wants us to live and how we stand right before God and how we stand better together in terms of our relationships. And the second lesson is that we're only going to learn it if we are humbled. Uh, so let me pray uh, that those things might happen today. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, uh, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that I might speak faithfully to it now, that we can truly understand what you want for us. Amen. So let me set the scene. Uh, Jesus is in northern Israel, uh, around the, the area of the Sea of Galilee, and a whole range of people are coming to see him. So some are from the rural parts of Judea and Syria, some are from the more urban areas like Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is a long way to the south. Uh, so they've come a long way. Uh, to see Jesus. And for many of the people, they've come because they've heard that Jesus can heal. And so they've come wanting to be healed. And that means that there's a disproportionate number of people standing listening who represent the most vulnerable people in society. Uh, they've been humbled by their circumstances. They've been humbled by how they've been treated by other people. And so for the first time, perhaps ever, they are hearing someone say to them, you have the opportunity to be amongst the blessed. And I think the, the closest literal translation of blessing is something like good result, uh, which doesn't sort of sound that glorious, but in the context of our relationship with God, it's the difference between literally heaven and hell. And so normally uh, we associate blessing with things like health and wealth and family and for me, coffee. Uh, but it's all about the comfort of life. Uh, but for Jesus, uh, blessing is about those things that bring us to the point of recognising God's love for us and recognising a love for righteousness and a love for our neighbour, uh, to love our neighbour as ourselves. So in a world that celebrates strength and self-reliance and tends to envy the arrogant and the powerful, Jesus is proclaiming a message that celebrates humility, where the weak things of the world shame the strong. 
And so it's all very counterintuitive. The Beatitudes are not describing how we are saved. Uh, We are saved by what Christ achieved for us on the cross. So he died in our place to pay the price for our sin. Uh, So we cannot earn it. Uh, We clearly do not deserve it. But we do need to accept it. Uh, We must accept Jesus as our Saviour. We must accept Jesus as Lord. He is the one who we are now committed to honouring with our life. Uh, He is the one who we are going to obey in terms of listening to his commands. And we're committed to serving in his plans. Uh, So the Beatitudes characterise the attitudes that will bring us to a place of recognising that we need a saviour and the attitudes and behaviours that will characterise what it means to live for Christ. And so this is not a pick or choose list. Uh, It's not uh, simply sagely advice or encouragement. Uh, This list describes everyone who follows Christ. Now, now clearly, uh, we do not do it perfectly. We are works in progress. Uh, Some of those attitudes and behaviours, as we talk about them, will come to us more easily and more naturally. And at other times, we will fail dismally and we will need to repent and get back up and keep going. And from beginning to end, we are always going to be relying on God's Spirit to help us. It's God's Spirit who helps us to see our state before God. Uh, It's God's Spirit who leads us to the point of repenting and believing. And it's God's Spirit who's going to help us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And there's both a present blessing in all of this and a future fulfilment. You know, right now we are blessed if we are poor in spirit, and we are blessed if we are mourn, if we mourn, because both of those things bring us to the place of recognizing our sin. And at the same time, we look forward to a future blessing where there will be no more mourning, uh, no more struggling with sin and pain. Uh, so, with that foundation in mind, uh, let's have a look at what these eight statements have to say. We're going to look at them quite. Briefly, uh, Pete Stacey uh, does love a good bit of alliteration, and so yeah, in honour of, of him getting you know, married recently, uh, I want to look at the Beatitudes under three headings. Uh, the firstly, the first one is our posture before God. Uh, the second, what pursuing righteousness, and then finally persevering. So starting at the start, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, so they will inherit the earth. So poor in spirit is a person who comes before God recognising that they are completely unworthy to come before God. Uh, So in the words of Isaiah, these are the ones I look on with favour, this is God speaking, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And we see what poor in spirit looks like in the life of, of Isaiah. So this is how he describes his own reaction to coming before the Lord. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So poor in spirit is about feeling profoundly unworthy and then recognising that we bring absolutely nothing to the table in terms of our standing before God. 
And we feel that same sense of vulnerability and remorse when we mourn. I know Jesus might be talking about the mourning that comes with grief and loss. And certainly as he looks out on that audience, uh, there are plenty of people who have suffered loss. And certainly when we're confronted with grief uh, and we are confronted with our own weakness, that brings us to a point of looking to God for comfort. So that could be what it's talking about. Um, But perhaps more likely in this context is talking about the mourning that comes as we respond to our sin, as we recognise our sinfulness before God. Uh, And that would certainly fit with that idea of being poor in spirit. And we get that sense of mourning when Daniel prays. So last time we looked at Daniel at some length, and this is how he prays to God as he recognises the sin of Israel. Lord, you are righteous, but this day... We are covered with shame. And so mourning is just more than vague regrets. That sense of profound brokenness, where we cannot imagine anything ever being the same. We can't imagine things being restored. Uh, Which begs the question, uh, is that how you approach sin? Are we so deeply ashamed of our behaviour and our attitude? that we come before God genuinely pleading for mercy and begging that God might give us the strength to not do that same thing again. If you're anything like me, then I suspect not. Uh, Sometimes we're simply oblivious and we don't even recognise our own sin. At other times we try to justify our behaviour and our attitudes And if we get over those two, then I think we often come acknowledging our sin, but with a sense of entitlement. that We're just expecting that God will be merciful. It's kind of like saying, yeah, I know I crashed the car, but that's why you have insurance. (laughs) If that's how we are coming before God, then we're really not understanding our sin at all, are we? We're not really genuinely appreciating what happened on the cross, that Jesus actually died for our sin. Uh, the good news is that when we do mourn, then God does comfort. And we do take comfort from knowing that Christ's death on the cross is sufficient for us. He has paid the price for our sin and our relationship with him is secure. And so we still come seeking mercy, but we come from a very different starting point, don't we? You know, rather than a position of entitlement, we come from a position of begging for mercy. And I think this is where meekness becomes a blessing. You know, most people view meekness, you hear the word meekness, and we, we feel that it represents weakness. We associate it with powerlessness and an unwillingness to stand up for ourselves in any given situation, or an inability to stand up for ourselves. Uh, certainly, meekness is probably not advantageous in business, probably not going to get you served at Macca's faster, but it is the right posture when it comes to our standing before God, because it recognises our weakness, but also recognises his glory. And at the end of the day, uh, what is more precious? Uh, The transient things of this life, or the eternal things that come through Christ? In the words of Jesus, what good is it? to someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. Our world sees meekness as weak, but actually God uses it 
for our strength. Now, the message of our culture is that everything is fine and what we really need is more affirmation. What your children need is more affirmation, more encouragement and more inspirational cat memes. Because we do love a good cat meme. Uh, what we don't need is more guilt. Uh, but Jesus says actually completely opposite. Uh, everything is not fine and being humbled before God and feeling the burden of our sin is actually a good thing because it's only when we feel that sense of despair that we start to recognise that we need a saviour. And so blessed are those who come before God and are humble. And blessed are those who pursue righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, I love that language of hunger and thirst. It captures a sense of desperation, doesn't it? You know, when you've been desperately hungry, you know just how good it is to finally get food, you know, to finally get a drink when you're thirsty. Uh, so there's desperation, but there's also that sense of satisfaction. So humility is about recognising the badness of our sin. Then pursuit of righteousness helps us to see the good of living to honour God. And if we genuinely hunger and thirst, then we'll commit. Now think about all the things in life where you have been desperate to succeed. Not just vaguely wanting, but desperate. Okay, it might be career aspirations, might be romantic aspirations. You know, you put it into your context. But when we are desperate to succeed, we are willing to go to all sorts of drastic lengths to make it happen. Is that what we want as Christians? Do we have that sense of hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, are we desperate to understand God better? Are we desperate to live in a way that honours him? where one day he'll turn around and say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And it connects closely in the Beatitudes with this pure in heart. A pure heart hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And at the same time as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it shapes our heart to be more like what God wants it to be. And that's going to overflow into a passion for how we then live for righteousness. And we see that lived out when we desire mercy. Now, mercy goes beyond what is fair, and it's about giving up our rights for the sake of the other. And that's a very different approach to relationships compared to our culture that often wants to talk about our rights and how you should be treating me, but very little about how I should treat you, and very little about mercy. Now, we've received mercy when Christ died on the cross and we accepted that offer of salvation. And we're called to show the same mercy, that undeserved mercy, to others. And we'll see that lived out as we seek to be peacemakers. Now, conflict comes in all sorts of different forms. It can be verbal and angry. It can be quiet and sarcastic. Uh, sometimes it doesn't involve words at all. We can say plenty uh, without saying anything. Uh, and sometimes, of course, our conflict expresses itself in our behaviour and our actions. Uh, conflict is never 
good, but sometimes it is necessary because that's part of living in a broken world. But the goal of dealing with conflict is always reconciliation. It's always a desire to honour God in how we deal with it, not just the outcome, and a desire to see the other person honoured. But I suspect that's often not how we go into conflict. Uh, often it's about satisfying ourselves and seeking the good for us rather than seeking the good for the other. Uh, here are five things that I think are helpful for dealing with conflict. So here's five things that I, I recognise I've tried to put into practice and also recognise that, that I often fail. I'm sure there's more than five, uh, but hopefully this is a good start. Uh, firstly, start with the gracious assumption that people aren't trying to hurt us. Uh, their words might be insensitive. Yes, they should have told you what they were doing. But let's not start with the assumption that they intended to be malicious. I think number two, be honest and self-reflective. Uh, if someone is frustrated at my behaviour, then try to appreciate why they're frustrated. Uh, if I'm frustrated at someone else's behaviour, why am I frustrated? Uh, is my reaction reasonable? Is the real source of conflict more about me or more about them? Uh, that's not an answer. It's just simply encouraging us to reflect. Uh, number three, uh, make a choice to let some things go through to the keeper. You know, if we try to fight every battle and every frustration, then we will live in a constant state of tension. That's an awful way to live for us, but also awful way for other people also to live around us. Uh, number four, uh, if it needs to be dealt with, then deal with it quickly. Uh, the longer we leave things, uh, the more they tend to fester, the harder it is to come back and say sorry uh, when we've done the wrong thing, and the harder it is to acknowledge the hurt that someone else has caused. And then number five, talk about it constructively and speak from your perspective. Now, so rather than saying, you disrespected me, uh, I think it is much more helpful and much more constructive to say, I feel disrespected. Now, it's a very small thing, but it actually tries to seek a constructive conversation rather than an accusing one. Uh, I think, unfortunately, even when we seek to be peacemakers, we do need to recognise that we will not always achieve peace. Uh, in the words of Paul, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, so far... Uh, we are blessed if we posture ourselves humbly before God. We are blessed if we pursue righteousness. And finally, we are blessed if we persevere in the face of persecution. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, firstly, let me be clear about what sort of persecution is blessed. If we are obnoxious and we are a Christian, and uh, then perhaps the issue isn't with us being Christian. Uh, but if we are persecuted for our love for righteousness, then we are blessed. Uh, righteousness is not simply about right values. It's not about being self-righteous and our goodness. Uh, whatever righteousness we have, we have because <coughs> of what God has done for us. Uh, the righteousness we have is a result of God's mercy and grace. But out of that, will come a desire to do the right thing before God. 
And for some people, they will see that doing the right thing as a threat to them. Uh, some will view it as a threat because we are sharing a message that conflicts with what they believe. Uh, some will view our desire for righteousness in terms of values, and they will view our values as dangerous to our society. And others will view our values as a threat to their conscience. Now, even if we don't say anything, our behaviour, they feel, is a rebuke of their behaviour. I think that's the last one. Often our righteousness or our desire to be righteous can come across not humbly, but as self-righteousness. And so how do we recognise that even when we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to do it from a position of weakness, not a position of pride. And when we honour God and when we stand firm in the face of persecution, uh, then we are in good company. Uh, The prophets in the Old Testament were persecuted for calling people to repent and believe. Jesus was persecuted, and so we shouldn't be surprised as followers of Jesus that we will also be persecuted. So today we've covered a lot of themes. I hope they've gone into salt and and light. Uh, They would be good themes as well, but hopefully in the passage they set us up with some context. But just looking at those Beatitudes, uh, as we think about ourselves, um, what what piques your attention? As you hear that, perhaps what's encouraging you, but also what's a challenge? Is it our posture before God? Are we coming to God humbly and contrite? Or are you coming towards to, to God more complacent uh, when it comes to our sin? Or is it your pursuit of righteousness? Do you feel more affirmed or challenged when we talk about hungering and thirsting? Uh, how are you going with your priorities and your time and where you expend your emotional energy? Or do we need to work on mercy and being a peacemaker? Or perhaps it is that how we deal with persecution. Or perhaps it's how we set ourselves up in the the workplace or with our friendships. If we made ourselves such a small target that we're not persecuted, which is fantastic, but we're not persecuted simply because no one knows we're a Christian. And if if that's true, then what's that saying to the world about what we are committed to and what we believe? All of these things should characterise who we are in Christ. We're not going to do it perfectly. We are works in progress. But can I encourage you out of all of these things, choose one or two where you go, I really want to focus on this over the next little while and pray about it, uh, talk to you know, a friend about it, hold each other accountable for it. But our desire is that we will live out the calling we've received in Christ. So let me pray that we will do that. Dear Lord, as we reflect on these words of blessing today, We are so thankful for your grace in our lives. I pray that we might live desiring to honour you. Dear Lord, we pray that your spirit might help each of us grow in those areas where we are struggling to be faithful to who you have called us to be. Amen.